it done. You can get it done. What's more, you gotta get it done. There's a gleam, man. There's a gleam. Let's get the gleam, all right? Let's go. Want a piece of that championship? Put it in here. Hey, guys, where else would you rather be? Welcome into Hour 2 of Big Dog Sports Talk with Rick Watson. Join the conversation now on the Long and Foster Baker Team Hotline, 540-639-4900. Or text Rick and the show at 744-2990. And now your host, the Big Dog, Rick Watson. Friday edition. Jen will join us coming up 8.05. We're going to go through game by game her uh, 2024 South Carolina football schedule. She'll give us her final record. Mike Ashley is a uh, game time decision. <laughs> Joining us now on the program from Tech Sideline. His name is Will Stewart. Will, how are you? Good morning. Doing pretty good this morning. And your theme song, of course, fits right into many of the requests that we get in hour one. <laughs> yeah. Great stuff, man. I mean, people are requesting Uriah Heap. <sighs> good stuff. So I was wondering what you and Jen talk about after the season's over. So oh, today it's yeah. the schedule. It's going to be fun today, yeah. She's going to go through and give me an honest assessment, she says. And I'll give her my assessment. We always compare and contrast and see where we are at the end of the year. So Tech plays them not this year but next year I think. Is it next year? I was yeah. gonna yeah. Yeah, and my beef with that is it's 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 in Atlanta. It should nah. be in Charlotte. Yeah, it's just you know I mean Tech fans I, I don't know why ACC teams continue to accept those Atlanta right. games against SEC. Absolutely. Teams. Why? Those are home games <laughs> exactly. for the SEC team. Just like I'm saying, no, let's play in Charlotte. No, we're not going to do that. Yeah, our fans. That's a lot of trouble for our fans to go that far away. I don't know. It's just it aggravates me. No, I'm I'm with you, man. You know, what was it was it Florida that last year played their first true road game in ten years or something like that? Was it Florida? It, 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 one of the SEC teams played their first true OOC road game in a decade. Alabama. Somebody. It was one of the yeah, two. Yeah, Alabama went. Where did they go? Alabama went to um, have the peeps. South Florida. Remember what? that? Yeah, it was something, some kind of deal they had worked out. I think I'm pretty sure it was South Florida. Yeah. <laughs> I think. Man. Let me look. I, I think that's right. Yeah, it was somewhere like that. Yeah, you're right though. Yeah, Virginia Tech played Alabama. I don't know in 20, 2009, 2013. Played them in Atlanta. <clears throat> yeah, you're right. That's not a good deal, is it? That's not. No, don't do that. Don't. Yeah. Tech hoops. The women last night. Now I saw I saw your post that made me chuckle. So you were you really you believe the last ticket sold? So you know that's the second time that's happened to me where I have bought a ticket to a tech sporting event and then they tweet out that it's sold out. <laughs> that's cool. Right after I buy my ticket. <laughs> so uh, if you don't follow me on Twitter, uh, 
I bought my ticket at 3.59 p.m., and at 4 p.m., they put out a, uh, a tweet saying that the game was sold out. <laughs> <laughs> and that game was legit sold out, too. The corners, they were full all the way up into the corners. Um, so this was a legit sellout, not the usual. Nothing. Yeah, it's sold out. I know we have more empty seats than we do fans, yeah, but we're sold out. Seat Geek's got 800 tickets, but hey, it's a sellout. Hey, it's a sellout. You know, they... That's, <laughs> We, we've talked about that before. That's part of their deal with uh, SeatGeek and, in the past, uh, StubHub, where the game's sold out and you go and there's a large block of unused tickets. So you're like, ah, you quote-unquote sold tickets to SeatGeek Seat or StubHub. So what do you say? Alabama mm-hmm. at South Florida. That is weird. Uh, Nick Saban has a relationship with some coach there, and they're doing a home-and-home. Home. They're coming back this year. That was September 16th. And Bama struggled. That was a 17-3 to win. That's when they were really trying to get Milrow going. Yeah. Yeah. So there it was. It was Alabama. It was their first true out-of-conference road game in 10 years. That's yeah. what it said. Because they, they scheduled seven home games, so you only got five games. Georgia had eight. I don't understand how they even get away with it. Crazy. But now yeah, South Florida comes back to Tuscaloosa. Boy, that's a tough start. Western Kentucky and South Florida for the new head coach down there. Woo! <laughs> Boy. So i got to apologize. I uh, – I was going to bring the cop car today, and then I forgot. And after the game last night, I just drove a different car home. So otherwise, you could be staring out the window in the oh, cop car. I would go out too and just <clears throat> sit in it. <laughs> I don't. I don't drive it much during the winter, but uh, drove it the other day. It's doing great. So it says hello. Richie says Florida and Utah as well. So you were right about Florida. So I guess two schools in that league had that same. Yeah. Same yeah, situation. Yeah, yeah, there you go. <laughs> Richie knows his stuff, man. Yeah. Richie, so for years, Richie tried to get me to do the uh, um, NCAA tournament pool. The bracket? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. I've been, been like, in Richie, that. Richie, I don't pay attention to anybody but Virginia Tech. <laughs> I, I'm just going to be – I'm going to be like an eight-year-old girl and just be picking on uniform <laughs> colors. Right, yeah, well, I like that mascot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so so when I, when I first got out of school in 87, I went to work in Charlottesville at a pretty big engineering firm. And they had a, a NFL pool, a pick'em. And uh, <laughs> I, I remember I start, I entered that thing. And, you know, I used to follow the NFL back then. Not not super close, but I followed Yeah. It. And about two or three weeks in, I'm not doing well in this pool. And two or three weeks in, there was a married couple there that, that won the pool. And... Their baby had made their picks. <laughs> I they, had held, it. they had held things up, and the baby would point or giggle or laugh. And, okay, we're going they, with them. They won the NFL pool by having their baby pick, and I said, that's it. I'm not doing this. Yeah, kind of thing absolutely. Anymore. It's a crapshoot. That's why people always say, well, I can't, we can't get rich in Vegas. Well, there you go. <laughs> there you go, because of things just, just like that. That's why you can't get rich in Vegas. Hey, so before we get into it, let's talk about music. I have a story I like to tell. Yeah, um, absolutely. So when I was. Uh, Back to when I was living in Charlottesville, a buddy of mine was working at Crutchfield um, oh, in yeah. Charlottesville. I love Crutchfield, and, and he's still there. He's like, it's it's fascinating when he, he started when it was a two hundred person company. It's like a six or seven hundred person company now, and he's number six. Oh wow! So he's had a good career there. Yeah, absolutely. So he's just getting started out, and this is around ninety, ninety one, ninety two. And he used to bring home these sampler CDs. They were music uh, that so, so Sony would put out a sampler CD trying to promote their unknown artists. And he brought home one home one time. This is actually a whole series of, of CDs. He brought one home one time that had a song on it by an artist named Danielle Dax. Danielle and Dax. You, you can look Danielle Dax up on Wikipedia. She barely has a Wikipedia entry. 
she has, I think, one video on YouTube that's pretty bad. But, <laughs> but there, there was a. <laughs> it's not good. He bought a home a CD called uh, um, a, a song called "Whistling for His Love" by Danielle Dax, which is a really good tune. Just yeah. kind of funky techno pop stuff. Is it not on here? I'll look for it. And I don't know. I don't think "Whistling for His Love" is on uh, on YouTube. Okay. But but I do think the song I'm about to talk about is okay. Um, so I decided, man, I, I really like that sound. I'm going to go look for some Danielle Dax CDs. And she put out two albums back in the late '80s, early '90s. And uh, I thought they were both really good, but she never got any traction and disappeared off the planet, off the face of the earth. And one of, one of my favorite songs by her was a song called Tomorrow Never Knows, which is very, very funky. And, and it starts out with the lyric, turn off your mind, relax and float downstream. Yeah, that's a Beatles song. Well, you just ruined the, oh, the, I'm the sorry. you ruined the story. <laughs> it's my favorite Beatles song. What are we <laughs> what are we so doing here? I don't know my Beatles very well. <laughs> so this is probably nineteen ninety two where uh, I get introduced to this song by Danielle Dax. And about twenty years later, over twenty years later, I'm watching an episode of Mad Men. And as they segue out into the credits, they start playing this strange music. And this male voice comes on and says Turn off your mind, relax, and float oh, downstream. And I thought, what? Wait a minute. And I sat there and I watched the credits, and it said the Beatles, Tomorrow Never Knows. Tomorrow Never Knows. I'd been listening to what I thought was a Danielle <laughs> Dax song for over 20 years, and it was a Beatles remake. Absolutely. And me not being much of a music file, that was just one of the many lessons where the influence of the Beatles, you know? Oh, it's And everywhere. the influence of Elvis Presley yes. on, yeah. on artists. And, uh, so I, I started doing some Googling, and, uh, you know, the Beatles library is extremely expensive to license. Absolutely it is. Mad Men paid $600,000. Just to play the song? For the rights to play that song <laughs> over the credits. Wow. And, there's a, and if you know much about TV show budgets, that's a lot Woo. of money. And uh, Matthew Weiner, I think is how you pronounce his last name, he was the creator and writer of the show. And, you know, when he first floated that he wanted to use that song over the credits, uh, they were on AMC. AMC said, no, you're not. Yeah. And, <laughs> no. And, and he really went to war with them and insisted, and they paid for it. Yeah. To run over the credits. If for some reason, it was extremely artistically important to Matthew To Weiner have that particular to run song. that Beatles song over the credits. Hey, I found Whistling for His Love. You ready? Did you? Yeah. By the way, Daniel Dax, nothing wrong with that. She's an attractive guy. Yeah. Is this it? Yeah, that's it. Whistling for his love. I got to hear her uh, Beatles remake, too. Yeah, actually, she does an excellent version of Tomorrow Never Knows. There you go. That's Whistling for his love. A little, little techno age right there, a little space agey. But uh, God rest his soul, one of our biggest uh, show supporters from the first time we were on into now before he passed was Fred the Beatles guy, who mm-hmm. everybody knows. He's just yeah. this unbelievable encyclopedia. It was just crazy. And uh, he and I got into this big thing about Tomorrow Never Knows. He loved that song, and I did too, so it was kind of really cool. He broke down all this. He knows about what was going into the writing and the, what they tried to do musically. I'm just sitting there going, how do you, how do you know this stuff? So the conversation went beyond the word drugs? Uh, yes, it did. <laughs> it did. Well, uh, 
Their their early music is you know their early music is such. I want to hold your hand. Yeah, and we used to get into that too. And then then like five years into it, they went into the studio and just started doing stuff. Rubber Soul Man changed it all. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You You talk about evolving. That that is evolving, and Uh, it all happened in the space of about eight years. Yeah, I mean, you're right. It was condensed, man. They were prolific. Yeah, yeah. All right. Anyway, back to sports. Yes. Yes, enjoyed that game thoroughly last night. Virginia Tech won by 13, I think, 76-63, I think was the final. Mm-hmm. And uh, the Hokies were bad from outside. They were 7 of 30 from three-point range. If they just hit some shots, that, that thing would have been 90-something yeah. to 60-something. Yeah, Virginia not very good. Yeah, Tech actually went 1 of 13 from outside in the second half. Yeah. So uh, Now, one thing that did happen in that game was uh, UVA got into the paint early and often. It was like a five-point game at halftime, something like yeah, that. Yeah, and UVA had 18 points in the paint. Uh, let's see if I can remember correctly. Tech had 42 points, and 14 of them were in the paint. And UVA had like 35, and like 18 of them were in the paint. They were getting down into the paint. Yeah. And not because of big players. They were driving. You know, they've, they've got they got one guard in particular who's pretty good, number uh, 25, I think she was. Can't remember her name. Um, but I, th- I think she's a hotshot freshman they got, and she lived up to her billing. Clark? No, not Clark. McGee? Uh, uh, no, she didn't play. Johnson. Johnson, yeah. yeah. What's her first name? I don't know. It just says K. Let me see here. Kamora, <laughs> K- K- I think, is her first Kimora name. Kamora Johnson, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, she's a good player. She reminds me a little bit of, a, of, a, of Olivia Miles, I think is her name, for Notre Dame. They're, they're built similar. Uh, Johnson, Johnson's bigger and heavier than Miles, but they just, they just have a real similar look to them, and they're both really good basketball players. 22 points. There you go. Yeah. And and she had, at the at the point where Liz Kitley had 16, Johnson had 15. Um, and then Johnson went quiet for a long time. I'm not sure she even scored in the third quarter. So, And the other thing Tech did was they limited UVA to six points in the paint in the second half. So um, <laughs> the, the, numbers, the numbers that Liz Kitley put up are, you know, they're video game numbers. They're insane. And she keeps doing it game after game. And, the worst part is you, you get you get used to looking at it, you know, and you're just like, oh, there's Liz again, 15 to 25 from the field, you know, um, 33 points, 18 rebounds, three blocks. Wow, Liz played the full 40 minutes. I did not realize that. Yeah. Um, Interesting. She just, I don't know, the numbers are, nobody's ever going to break her records. No. Because she's been prolific her entire career, and she's playing five years because of COVID. Correct. You know, the age yeah. of NIL, she hung around, you know, and she's putting up numbers that will literally never be broken. Yeah. yeah. And I, I imagine there's a lot of that going on around college football I do and college too. basketball. Yeah, it has the COVID, to be. The COVID players are setting records. And that's what's so, you know, <clears throat> Hunter Couture has the three-point record at Virginia Tech. Yeah, yeah. And people will say, well, he did it in five years. But when Hunter Couture broke the record for three-pointers, he did it in fewer games than A.D. Visayo did. Now, A.D. Visayo only played four years. Hunter played five. But at the time that Hunter broke the record, he'd played in like five fewer games than Visayo. Right. So that's a legit record. But a lot of the records kids are putting up now. Agreed. They'll just never get broken. Agreed. You know? and, and I remember that discussion when Tyler Hansbrough set the – I think he holds the scoring record at North Carolina. Yes, Or a rebounding does. record or both. I mean, it may be both. And Hansbrough played the full four years – and I remember a lot of the discussion around him was, you know, players that good that can put up those kind of numbers will not play 
four years. Um, they'll go to the NBA earlier. And now I imagine you've got some guys playing five years, putting up. Yeah. So the other thing is they transfer a lot. So all of Liz Kitley's records and all of Hunter Couture's records are Virginia Tech Correct. records. Right. They, they did right. it at Virginia Tech. So this is all stuff that, and, and pay attention to this, as you and I live another 10, 20, 30 years, you know, there are records that will not be broken. No. Because no. number one, the players don't, not only do they, in, in the men's game in particular, not only do they not stay in college if they're that good, they don't stay at their team. If, yeah, they're going to go somewhere where else. they transfer out. So, Bigger payday. So kids are racking up some uh, career records these days that will never be broken. That's right. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so, you know, I imagine Kitley and Amor are going to have their uh, jerseys retired, not their numbers, their jerseys. Yeah, we do um, that too. I... <laughs> and, and it's interesting, you know, the, no, no Tech women's basketball player has had her jersey retired since Renee Dennis way back when I was in school. I think you should retire the jersey. I don't – the whole retiring that particular uh, – 33 should not be worn by anybody ever again. So you're saying retire the number. The number. Yeah. Don't retire the jersey. The jer- what, what are we doing? Just hanging our jersey in this? We do that at, we do that at Radford, too. We retire the, the jersey. jersey. And not the number. Yeah. You know, it's... Uh, Come on. <laughs> she's, got, she's made an impact in this program no player ever has. And never will, like you're saying. That, nobody should wear that number again. I wonder. But because of recruiting, I know why they changed it. I was told why they changed it, because kids want – they don't want to be told they can't wear the number. It might be something they go, oh, I can't wear my 15 at your place? Well, I might – see, so it's just – I know, that stuff actually matters. It does. Yeah. It does. So we, we had Dorian Strong in studio this week, and, and um, we had him in for Triumph Spotlight. And, of course, we asked him, you know, why would you come back to Virginia Tech and that kind of stuff. But somebody said in the YouTube comments, they said, you know, you should ask him why he wears number 44. Because apparently Peyton Manning or somebody said, uh, any defensive back with a number over 40, I'd, I'd throw at him because <laughs> they weren't very good. And I said, well, that's a, you know, that, we, we have typically uh, one athlete in a week. That's actually a good question for everyone on the company. It is, why, yeah. Why do you wear the number you that's wear? That's right. How important is it to you? Yeah. yeah. And some of them won't have a story and others will. Yeah. So I, I think that's a good one. And uh, I do too. I, so, I love stuff like that. Well, the other thing about recruiting is you're, you're right. A, a kid might want his particular number that he's fond yeah. of that means something to him. But you remember Syracuse used to, uh, what was it? The number 44 that Syracuse, I think it was 44. We're talking about 44. Absolutely. Uh, it, was, it was whatever Jim Brown wore. Whatever number he wore at Syracuse, and Leroy Floyd Little, Kelly and Floyd, Floyd Little, Little all so, those guys. So it was like a, it was like an honor to be recruited to Syracuse and be given that number to wear. You know, like the number seven at Virginia Tech. Um, the fir- who, so tell me who the first player to wear number seven after Michael Vick left was. Who was it? Ooh. After Michael Vick? Yeah. Number seven after Michael Vick. The number one recruit in the country. Oh, Kevin, yeah, Kevin Jones Jones wore seven. That's right. That's right. Kevin came in and wore the number seven in in 2001, right after Michael left. And Kevin wore number seven in 01, 02, and then switched to number 25 in 03, which I thought was odd. Yeah, 25 didn't look right on him. And I don't know that he ever gave a real answer for that. It was something about one of his friends back home or something like that. And, you know, I, I. I know Kevin, and I bump him, bump into him every once in a while. So I'll try to remember to ask him that one. Uh, Jim Brown, Ernie Davis, Floyd Little, <laughs> number forty-four. Are we Good right? God, 
Yeah. Rob Conrad later on got it. Rob, yeah. Rob Conrad. That's right. Whew. No wonder, man. I get it. That's cool, though. Yeah. That is real. I'm looking up some of these names. It's just, and they go further back, guys I've never heard of, you know, back in the 40s and stuff. So that number meant something then. And Jim Brown wanted, yeah, the 44 was part of the whole Jim. That's pretty cool to read that. Yeah. He yeah. wanted 44. And they, and they used to use that to recruit running backs. They'd tell yeah. them, when you get here, you can wear the 44. And then he made the number 32 in, in Cleveland. You know, he changed the – yeah, Man. absolutely. I know, I know that your, your, uh, your crowd, your listeners are an older crowd. Yeah, yeah. It's hilarious. We're running a demographic survey on Tech Sideline right now, and my gosh – 30% of our audience is over 65. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Those are the ones with all the money. We, we have we have 325 student subscribers. They're just not filling out the Correct. demographic yeah, survey. Uh, it's just I'm not the old doing guys. That. The old I'm guys not doing like, that. Hey, Give me another beer. <laughs> That's right. Will Stewart in studio. More coming up. I do want to get Will's take, get his opinion about this Jeff Halfley situation. I yeah. think it's a big problem. It's actually uh, talking about Syracuse. It's, it's relevant. Okay. All right. There you go. We'll be doing that after the news. we got to come back, though. We have a little bit of time here before the news break. Stay with us. More with Will after this. All right. We've got about two seconds. One second. Ah. Did they get the shot off in time? We're going to the review. All right. <laughs> Will Stewart to the studio with us. We're halfway home on the Finally Friday edition. Confirmation, Mike Ashley is out. He's out. That'll change. That'll so, change the spread in Vegas. So he texted you and then went. <laughs> yeah, went probably so. <laughs> Sounded terrible last night when he called me. Anyway, get well soon, Mike. Jen in hour three. More with Will. He's got some good thoughts, uh, to say the least, about this Jeff Halfley situation yeah. at BC. on a limb too and say that she's probably using as many recreational drugs in this video as the Beatles did when they wrote the song. Interesting. Hey, at least she put the seagulls in there. That was cool. It's funny, I can't see the video, but I can see the reflection yeah. of it in the glass behind you. <laughs> There you go. That's uh, Daniel Dax, just like Hollyfield, by the way, DAX. With Tomorrow Never Knows. Okay. You see there, you, you, you learn to miss something there. Got to wonder what her label had to pay to get to remake that. Oof. <laughs> right, if they're if they're charging six hundred thousand use on the credits. Well, I wonder, I wonder how that works. Remember that was that was over thirty years ago. Yeah, and. Uh, wasn't it Michael Jackson who bought the uh, Beatles he library? Did. He bought the catalog. That's right. And it was after that from Paul McCartney. I yeah. think I think Michael Jackson bought it for only fifty million dollars. Yeah, it wasn't like outrageous. For yeah. I mean, I know that's you know, but yeah, for what that was, absolutely. Well, absolutely. you know, you could have had Amazing Fantasy fifteen, the first appearance of Spider Man. <laughs> for, for yeah, 
for like ten grand thirty yeah, years ago. Back then. And now it's a one point something. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. All right. Uh Jeff Halfley's leaving uh BC. It's not good for the ACC. It's not good, you know, however long the ACC lasts. It it's it's I think we're gonna see more of this with younger coaches. We're not talking about Cromungeon guy getting out because he's been doing it for 30 years. He didn't want to adapt. This is a guy who understood the terrain. It has changed, though, and I think Andy and I were talking about it yesterday. Andy was saying, well, he should have known what he was getting into. I was like, no, that's not true. No, not, it, He's been there four years. It's so. evolved from four yeah. years. It's not, the same, it's not the same environment as he was four years ago. This yeah, is just, that that was a hard job four years ago for different reasons. Well, I'm just like the whole landscape of where we are with the portal in the NI. It wasn't where it was now four years ago. It was just being talked about and discovered. It's yeah, it was 2021. When it's summer changed. of 2021 that NIL was made legal. It has so changed. But I think it's it's going to something I think we're going to see more of. Guy, and I know he had an NFL job to fall on, and he, he's an NFL guy. But this is this is I think a big statement for college football in a negative way. What do you he, think? He was making you know BC's a private school, so they don't have to report. But yeah, um, Google search during the commercial break says he was making. He started out at BC making three million a year. He got an extension to four million a year. Guy's making four million a year, and you know, again, I don't follow the NFL closely, but one of the things I understand is that it's not like they pay their position coaches and no. their coordinators a lot of money. He's taking a pay cut. He's taking yeah. a huge pay Absolutely. cut. Absolutely. Um, so that right there, I ought to tell you, it's it's clearly not about the money for him. Mm-mm. And it's uh, so. What did he say? You you read his statement. What did he say? He said that college football coaching today is all he goes all i'm doing throughout my days and weeks is you're dealing with alumni you're trying to fundraise you have to address the nil find out how much your collective has you have to talk to recruits about all that they won't even talk to you until you start bringing this up and then you have to go re-recruit your team almost on an hourly basis because you find out that another team is already poking around saying this is what we can give you if you leave boston college yeah the tampering's crazy and he said I can't, and when I want to sit down with my coaches and start thinking about game planning and about my team and what we're going to do in the spring, I, I don't have any time for that. I can't count on the roster that I have, and I can't do this anymore. He said he started to feel like that last year. And this is a guy who came on this program and said this was his dream to be a head coach at a place like BC. So he's leaving something that meant a lot to him. Yeah, because it changed. Um, I think that there is a because of NIL, and, and NIL probably has a relatively short shelf life. Um, yeah, the stuff I read says that they are moving towards an employment model or a, or a rev share model or both. Right. So under, under the employment model, some college athletes, I imagine football players, men's basketball players, women's basketball players will be employees of the school. I'm not sure that every single athlete for a school will be an employee. Right. So let's just talk about football. They'll be an employee of, of the school. And in an ideal situation – Once these athletes all become employees, then they will have a national union, collective bargaining, you know, bring little control to everything that's going on. That's that's what, you know, what makes the NFL succeed is that they have collective bargaining on the part of the players. And and so now the NCAA is fighting that. They're trying to get an antitrust exemption from Congress, I guess, is where they would get it, which would prohibit athletes from becoming employees. Because once the athletes become employees, it's over yep. for the NCAA. It is. It's already over. It's, 
They just don't want to let go yet. Yeah, but it's officially over. Absolutely, they they have the billions and they don't want to share. That's it, which is understandable. Anybody with billions doesn't want to share. Anybody with millions doesn't want to share. You have to start sharing with athletes. So, so there's a there's a court case out there oh. that, that um, <clears throat> I don't know the name of it. I don't know the particulars of it. I just know that it's about past NIL. And apparently, if the NCAA loses this court case, there will be money owed to thousands of former athletes. And they will lose. They lose every court case. When was the last time the NCAA won a I court case? I can't even remember one. I really can't. Right. It goes all the way back to 1984 when, up until 1984, the NCAA controlled which football teams were on television yeah. when. Yeah. And then in 1984, I read the other day it was Oklahoma. I thought it was Georgia. Georgia sued the NCAA for the rights to their football games. And that's that was 40 years ago. 40 years ago. And the Supreme Court said, yeah, NCAA, you lose. You know, and that's when TV rights got opened up. And schools, instead of negotiating for their individual rights, Notre Dame's the exception. Right. Schools, their conferences uh, negotiate on their behalf. So the NCAA has been losing court cases for four decades. <laughs> They're going to they lose again. never win. Absolutely. I mean, if you can't win a – I don't think – I guess UNC did take them to court over the fake classes thing. I mean, if you can't win that case, you can't win anything. Yeah. Because yeah, everybody knows what a corrupt institution it's been, or a representative institution it's been. Yeah, no. So, anyway, uh, back to the topic. Uh, I think there's a weeding out going on of coaches who can handle this landscape that includes NIL and the, and the transfer portal. And, and as, as, as a guy on our message board says, it's really not about the transfer portal. It's about the one-time transfer rule. Absolutely. The portal is just what facilitates that. That's right. But anyway, that's how people talk about the portal. So there is a weeding out of coaches who cannot deal with NIL and the transfer portal. And I think, it, again, I don't think NIL will last all that long. I think 10 years from now we'll be looking back on NIL and remembering when it was a thing. Right. Um, it, uh, so let me, let me qualify that a little bit, Rick. Um, if, if, even if the players become employees, NIL will still be there. They'll still be able to sign endorsement contracts and things like that. Oh, sure. Anything they can get on their own. Sure. But it being their sole source of income, uh, will not be a thing like it is now. So like I said, there's a weeding out going on and and some of the coaches are older and some of them are, uh, are younger. And this is the first, I guess, guy, if you will, in his prom, however you want to look at it, that yeah. has kind of gotten it, – it's, it's a huge story. I mean, I mean, it's still being talked about all over the place yesterday. I mean. So, so I'm starting to develop the opinion to turn this into a, uh, a Virginia Tech discussion. I'm starting – you know, we're only two years into the Brent Pry tenure, but he appears to me to be a guy who can handle all of this stuff. Seems like it right now, right? And, and has – built a staff and a program to deal with it. Now, Virginia Tech's not swimming in NIL money like some schools are. Um, most schools, I've read this multiple times, most schools have 4 to $8 million a year in NIL funding. Uh, some of the rich schools have yeah. 10, 15, you know, Ohio, right. Ohio State's basically buying all of Alabama's transfer players. <laughs> yes, you know? yes. Nick Saban right. quit, yes, so right. yeah. all the Alabama players Come are in the portal, and, and Ohio up. State's buying a lot of them. Florida State's getting some of them. Now, that takes, that takes NIL, big-time NIL Big-time money. money. So yeah. some programs have huge dollars. Virginia Tech's kind of in that middle, large group. But Pry has built, along with Triumph NIL and the Hokie Way, he, it, it looks to me like he has built a staff 
in a culture where he is completely comfortable with the stuff that Halfley is not comfortable with. Yeah, yeah. The pry is he's always, even when he was starting his career out four and 15 or whatever the heck it was, four and 11, I don't know, bad. <laughs> he was still very good in front of the fans and in front of the press. Mm-hmm. He's had that part nailed from the beginning. He has, he has. What we're starting to see over time is that, you know, the retention in, at Virginia Tech is very good um, because they're smart with their NIL money. Um, they only give NIL money to players who have earned it have proven that they are performers at the college level. I think they've directed some NIL funds at guys coming out of high school, but they're not they're not big on that. Yeah. They did. Yeah. They <clears throat> yeah. Did. So there's some of that going on, but for the most part, they use their NIL money to retain good players that are already in the program and to attract good players into the program. <clears throat> and they don't shoot for the upper level guys in the transfer portal because they know they can't compete. Yeah, you're not going to get them financially. So they, yeah. they selectively get guys from lower levels like Quan Felton and Baishul Tootin. Yeah, yeah. Tootin's a great college running back, and he didn't come with the price tag that that some yeah. some quarterback power five could. guy could. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So again, we're just two years in, but. Uh, uh, I think in the weeding out, Brent Pry appears to be uh, built for handling this new age of college football. And so, you know, recruiting, uh, January is still a big recruiting month for college programs. Um, and that's just a, that's a vestigial thing. They used to do all their recruiting in January. Well, now what happens is they sign all their kids in December, and then they kind of start recruiting the next class in January. So recently, Pry and his staff have been on the road, uh, driving around the state, visiting high schools, doing the high school recruiting thing. And that can be a real grind. So you've just gone through a season, which was August, September, October, November, December. It was five months because you started practicing in August. Oh, yeah. yeah. And you played your bowl game in December. So you've been grinding for five months. And then it's January, and you've got to hit the road and go recruiting. Like I said, this stuff is a grind. But if you look at the pictures that these guys put on social media, of course they're smiling, you know. But but they appear to be having fun. And, and I think that is something that you've got to make. I've been saying this for years about the players. College football is a grind for the players. And you got to make it fun. You have to have a fun culture in your program. And I think it looks to me like Pry's done a really good job of, of – making this grind fun. He appears to get along really well with his, his assistant coaches. He does. His staffers. Um, you know, just things, things, things look – he looks like he can handle this current So far. Yeah. So far. And, and, I, and I've quantified that because Tech fan, they're not chiming in negatively because everything went well for them this cycle. Right. Yeah. They kept their players. They went out and got some more pieces out of the portal. So right now they're like, hey, we're good to go. I said, this is an anomaly. This isn't going to happen every year. Enjoy it now because it'll change probably 2025. It's not going to be like this every year. You'll have, even if the, the landscape stays the same, you'll have good years and bad Absolutely. years. Absolutely. And one of the things that's benefiting them right now is that uh, Kyron Drones has used his transfer in. I do not think Kyron has graduated from Tech. Yeah, I don't know. I, so, so he kind of – I've asked and nobody can really give me a 
It's they don't. They're not going to give you the. They're answer. not going to give you the answer. So he let's let's assume he hasn't graduated. He's already <laughs> used his one free transfer, so he kind of has to stay. Um, but he also would be foolish to transfer somewhere else into an iffy situation. Mm-hmm. He's the guy here. So I'm kind of speaking out of both sides of my neck here, where I'm yeah, like, yeah. he really can't go anywhere, but he'd also be dumb to go somewhere. Right. Right. So anyway, if, if Virginia Tech, so if Virginia Tech has, let's say they have a really good quarterback in the future. You know, Pop Watson is the heir apparent to Drones. Let's say Drones plays next year, maybe another year. He's out, and then Pop Watson is your guy. I think this is going to be his last year coming up for Drones. Yeah, probably. If he continues to develop, particularly at the rate he developed last year, I I don't think he's going to have a whole lot to prove at the college level. So so let's say Pop Watson is your guy, and as a redshirt sophomore, he has a good year. And as a redshirt junior, he has a really good year. And, by the way, he also graduated. By the way, he hasn't used his free transfer. People I'm are on the be, market. People are going to be throwing yeah, money at yeah. him. You know, so you're right. This is kind of a unique situation where uh, they the the player retention rates really high. It won't right. always be like that. No, no. But I think in general they will do the best they can. I do at retaining too. Players. I do too. When he's talked about it on the show, he's got this devil may care attitude. He's just like, yeah, this is what it is, you know? And it's kind of like our basketball coach, Darius Nichols, you know? He said, survive or die. They go out, they're a younger staff. It's much like the tech football staff, and this is their world. They, they know. They came from assistant spots at other places. It was already going on, so, hey, let's just go do the best we can. I, I would really love to drill into, um, you know, Tech's mining of the transfer portal has been pretty good. It the really success has. success rate is pretty high. It's been really good. Um now, going back to before Pry, uh, Khalil Herbert was oh. do, doing almost nothing at Kansas. Yeah. And now he's an NFL running right. back. He, he came in and you watched him play that one year at Tech, and you're like, what was Kansas yeah, doing? Yeah, why did he not – why was he not the feature back? What he, was, was, <laughs> he wasn't even their starter by the time he transferred to Tech. What are we doing? He's, he's an NFL running back. <laughs> you know, so uh, – so th- you know, and – Bishol Tootin, what what a phenomenal talent! Mm-hmm. You know, do, do, again back to the Dorian Strong story. He was in the he was in the studio. And one of the questions that uh, the interview or our interview asked him was uh, just about the speed on the team. And, and you know, he, so we asked Dorian, uh, who who are some of the fastest guys on the team? And you knew what was coming out. He's like he's like Tootin's really fast. He said that guy's acceleration. He said, yeah, his top end speed is pretty good, but his acceleration. And, yeah, you see Tootin go to the corner, and you think, you're like, oh, look at that. Whoa, look yeah, at that. Right. And so they they found that guy. So, anyway, what I want to drill down into with, with Pry is, you know, you got this big staff you use to identify high school recruits. You're also identifying transfer portal candidates. How does all that work? You know, some of it's relationships like like Allie Jennings already knew Fontaine. Yeah, Lines. right, right. That, that's easy. You understand that one. And, and maybe I just don't remember something about the Tootin story, but how'd they know about Tootin? You know, I'd love to know how they identify guys. Yeah, that'd be a good process to investigate, wouldn't it? Yeah, to get inside of it. When do you get onto a kid? When did you start thinking about this kid? Who do you contact? How did, yeah, that would be cool. I know, I know cool. in recruiting, the way it works is you have a big recruiting staff and, you know, kids come at you all the time. So you, you have the subscription to Huddle, so you can watch entire game films. So That's right. So you have, a, you have a staff of guys that you pay fifty to 80000 a year, and they are the gatekeepers of high school recruiting. They watch the film and decide, does the kid make it to the next stage of the process? So back in the day, 25 years ago, Frank Beamer and his staff did everything. 
Well, these days, if you're at Clemson or Alabama, for example, a recruit doesn't even make it to the assistant coach visibility level <laughs> right. until he's gone through the first gate, which is your staff that watches. That's right. That's right. Right. You get to meet this coach now because you've passed. It's almost like star search. Hey, you got through the preliminary rounds. Here you go. The voice. <laughs> and, and it's funny because that's if that staff is the ones communicating with a recruit, yeah. um, you, you have to. So let's say a recruit DMs you and he's like, go watch my film. And you go watch him on Huddle and he kind of sucks. You got to be diplomatic in how you respond. Yeah. Because you might want another player from his school or this kid might actually mature and be good. Correct. Yeah. So you say things like, well, your size is really good and your instinct's really good. But we feel like. What's not clear from your film is (laughs) your, your lateral movement. Can you cover? So you just finished your sophomore year. And as you grow into your body, you know, these are the things you need. And this conversation happens and it's not the assistant (laughs) coach that's right right? so when that kid as he develops and goes to some other school and let's say he goes to a north carolina a&t and turns out to be a good ball player there well he remembers when he was a sophomore in high school yeah and and you very nicely told him what he needed absolutely kind of like high school dating (laughs) with the girls from sophomore to senior year hey Wow. Well, girls mature earlier. Yeah, you know. wow. it's, it's, huh. it's the boys that change. <laughs> All right, we're wrapping it up. Will Stewart after this. Stay with us. Hour two. <laughs> I am. I mean, I just had to before Will's out. He's got me like... I have to hear this now at least once a week. <laughs> you know, when I go to I go to the, I go to the gym from here. Yeah, and I put the I put the earbuds in. This is the first thing I play. I mean, I'm strapping up. I'm putting on the gloves. Yeah, yeah. I'm getting ready. I'm looking at what my workout's going to be. I'm stretching. You got your Mammy Vice suit hanging in your locker after you shower. Got the got the linen jacket with the sleeves yeah, you can push yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> may or may not have the thin tie I, you know it's pop, optional apparently pop, pop the collar <laughs> good stuff man it was a good discussion uh, hey, shout out to Jim McAllister and Tom Gabbard sat next to Tom Gabbard last night in, oh Tom Gabbard Castle and Tom Gabbard's one of my favorite all-time people yeah and, and he's, how can he not be and we we didn't chat much I didn't bother him too much Tom and I know each other we get along great uh, um, he retired two years ago but continued to work full-time, and, and he told me, this week I'm finally completely done. He always comes by and says, hey, when we're doing our uh, Tech Tailgate show and there are yeah. people around, and I'll say, you see that guy I just talked to you? You see all this? Go yeah. tell him you're welcome. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> so so Tom and I sat there and mostly talked about the game, but at one point he leaned over and he said, you're on Big Dog Sports Talk, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I said, Dang, everybody listens to uh, I know, I know. Everybody it's over crazy. the age of 50 yeah, listens it's to crazy. Big Dog. It's crazy. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I was somewhere that, well, it sounds like I'm tooting my own horn. I'm not. But I was out eating the other night, and somebody, I guess I was just talking to the to the server, and somebody went, I'm sorry. The are voice. You, are you Rick Watson? <laughs> <laughs> and I went, no. So, so Andy Bitter was going to a movie the other day, and he said the kid scanning his ticket said, hey, man, I love the podcast. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And so Andy's telling us a story later. I'm like, you were the AP yeah. Sports Writer of the Year. <laughs> and that's that kid's comment, I love the podcast. I love the podcast. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's cool. It's cool. You know I've got a whole body of yeah, written you know work, right? Yeah, I have. Yeah, yeah. You know you can buy my books off Amazon, <laughs> right, right? Right, Do you know who I am? Podcast, man. That was great. <laughs> you know that song y'all played the other day? 
Mm. Speaking of great, that was fun, man. Good stuff with Will Stewart as always. Do it again next week. Everybody, hour three with Jen. Again, no Mike Ashley. He has uh, decided he went out for pregame warm-ups and uh, his ankle didn't hold up. He's out. He's out. No matter how much they taped it. <laughs> yeah, it didn't matter. They tried. Jen joins us next. Power Hour coming up. People are asking for more song